Well, good morning, everyone. I want to add my welcome to uh, Erica's and the teams. My name is Tony Diekman. I'm the site pastor here. If uh, your first time here, I want to say welcome. This morning, we're in a series we've titled Visions of Hope, where we're looking at the prophet Ezekiel, the prophet in the Old Testament, who is prophesying against the southern kingdom of Judah. And this morning, as you heard Kristen read, uh, some, a lengthy text, um, that's the text we're going to dive into today. You thought, if you were here last week, you thought last week's text was long. Kristen did some heavy lifting this morning. Actually, it's the largest chapter, longest chapter in Ezekiel. And actually, it's longer than some of the other minor prophets, just this chapter alone. And so there's a lot to be said here this morning. And uh, with all of that said, I think we should get about it because there's a lot to cover. Um, if you would, though, bow your heads and pray with me as we begin. Almighty God, king of our hearts, the, the God of gods, the Lord of lords. We come before you this morning and we seek your guidance. We seek your word. We seek your truth and your spirit is required for us to understand. We ask you, Father, this morning to be faithful to your word. I pray that the word of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be truly pleasing in your sight, that your words would be my words. Father, may all I say, think, and do bring glory and honor to your name and to your name alone. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you guys heard of, of G.K. Chesterton? He's a philosopher from the 1900s, and he says this. He says, when it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or you take them with gratitude. The critical thing is whether you take life with, for granted or do you take it with gratitude. A modern-day philosopher, a writer, actually, from the New York Times, uh, David Brooks, wrote this in an article recently. He said, Gratitude happens when some kindness exceeds expectations. When it is undeserved, gratitude is sort of laughter of the heart that comes about after some surprising kindness. The basic logic of the capitalist mediocrity that we currently live in is that you get what you pay for, that you earn what you deserve. But people with dispositional gratitude are continually struck by the fact that they are given far more than they pay for and are much richer than they deserve. Their families, schools, summer camps put far more into them than they give back. There's a lot of surplus goodness in daily life that can't be explained by the logic of equal exchange. People with grateful dispositions see their efforts grandly but not themselves. Life doesn't surpa surpass, the, surpass their dreams, but it, ni it nicely surpasses their expectations. So I have a couple questions for you. And the first one is, is do, you, do you see our culture as one that is, that is exceedingly kind, that is exceedingly grateful? And, and would you describe yourself as someone who is grateful or someone who is, tends to take things for granted. And are you amazed, are you amazed, are you an individual who's amazed that life has managed to be as sweet as it is? is? Is that what you see in our culture? Is that what you see in your life, in your family? Is that what you see in your church? Are we a group of people that are grateful, or are we a group of people that are more like the culture around us and ungrateful. 
Well, comedian Louis C.K., I don't know if you know him, in a, in a recent interview, he was sharing his thoughts on this, and he believes that our culture has become very ungrateful. And, and, and in fact, he says in the interview that he believes that if we're ever going to get back to being grateful for what we have, he's afraid that our whole system needs to come crumbling down for us to truly appreciate the things that we have. And then he goes on in this little comic bit about, about that to try to like, make his point, and I, I, I want to share it with you this morning. He said he was on an airplane, and there was, was high-speed Internet. And he said he's sitting on the plane, and they say, open up your laptops, you can go on the Internet. It's fast, it's amazing. And then the thing breaks down. And then they apologize. Um, we're sorry, folks, but the Internet's not working. And the guy next to me says, oh, this... Blank, 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 blank. Right? And he says, like how quickly the world owes him something he knew existed only about 10 seconds ago. And then he goes on, he says, people come back from flights and they tell you their story. They say, it's a horror story. It's the worst day of my life. First of all, we didn't board for 20 minutes. And then we get on the plane and they make us sit there on the runway for 40 minutes. And I say, oh, really? And what happened next? Did you fly in the air incredibly like a bird? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight? Everybody on the plane should be constantly screaming, wow, you're flying. We're sitting in a chair in the sky. But here's the thing, he says. People say there are delays on flights. He says, delays, really? New York to California in five hours. It used to take 30 years to do that, and a bunch of you wouldn't make it. We live, in his, his estimation, in a very ungrateful society. And my question to you this morning is, where are you? Are, are, are you grateful for what's going on today in the middle of this pandemic? Or are, are you more of this frustrated, not grateful, pointing fingers across the aisle? Where are we? Where are we as the church? Would, would people that you know describe the church as unexpectedly kind? Or if you said, describe to me the most grateful person you know, and they say, well, it'd have to be a Christian, because they're always just so kind and grateful and, uh, about what's going on. Is that what you would see in the world, or we've become more like the world around us, where we have acquiesced into just taking things for granted and being upset that we have to wait 20 minutes or, or things take longer or, or my upload speed is only 150 megabytes per second and I'm supposed to be getting 500. Where are we as a culture where we have become so ungrateful, practicing more like ingratitude in our culture? See, that's what's happening in this text today, in Ezekiel 16. It's ingratitude is at the center of this case that God is prosecuting against the children of Israel. And he's using Ezekiel as his prosecuting attorney, really, to sort of prosecute or arraign the children of Israel, and at the same time, arraigning the modern-day church and bringing us up on the same charges. Because if we're honest, we can see ourselves in this text 
If we, we don't really need a lot of imagination today to see ourselves in this text, to see ourselves as people who are forgetful of or poor, uh, or poor return for the kindness we receive. We're forgetful of the grace that we live in, and, and our attitude doesn't reflect the grace in which we walk and in which we live. We've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten what God has done for us. And in return, our kindness is, is waning. Our kindness is, is, in some cases, non-existent. And that's what Ezekiel is saying to the, the children of Israel. He's saying the very same thing. You've forgotten who you are. And he's done so with some very colorful language, some very explicit language. And he's doing so to remind them and us just how much we have to be grateful for. And so I want to go through this text because I think there are things that we can grab onto that we can remember. Remember last week we said we're reading these stories. Paul says these stories are there so they're examples for us so that we don't make the same mistakes. But if we're honest, we're a lot like our ancestors. As we start to read in the text in chapter 16, we read that God reminds the children of Israel, remember who you were originally. This is being told from God's perspective. So you were a child that was unwanted. He said, you were thrown out into the open field, for on the day you were born, you were despised. Nobody wanted you. You were an infant. No one even cut the cord. No one did anything to take care of you. They just threw you out because nobody wanted you. That's who you were. You weren't even a people. And nobody wanted you. There wasn't anything glorious about you. In fact, everybody despised you. That's who you were. And then he goes on to share with them, but, but I saw you. I passed by you and saw you kicking about in your blood, and as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. Because think about it, a young infant tossed out into a field, just newly born, without any care, without any comfort, without any sustenance, doesn't last long. And they're solely dependent on somebody else rescuing them. But nobody wanted to. But yet God had mercy on them. And he's reminding them that remember who you were, remember how poor you were, how you had nothing. And if it were not for me, you would have perished. You wouldn't be here. And he goes on to tell them that everything you have is from me. The clothes you wear, the jewelry you wear, the food you eat, everything you have comes from me. The reason that you have risen to such prominence in the world is because of me. I made you a queen. I raised you up. I put a crown on your head. The reason Israel was as powerful as it was was because of the Lord our God. That is why you rose to prominence. There was nothing in you. But yet, what happens? They forget. And they start to see everything they have as theirs. 
They start to see all the fame and accolades that they received as a nation as foreign leaders would come into their land seeking guidance. They started believing their own press and seeing themselves as beautiful and understanding that they had power in the world, and it must be because we're a powerful people. I mean, just look at everything we have. And they started attributing all of their success to their own efforts. Look at everything. Look at all the stuff in my house. Look at this country that we live in. Aren't we blessed? Look at how hard we've worked for this. And we forget that it is by the grace of God that we were born here. It is by the grace of God that we have what we have. Everything we have comes from him. But how quickly we can acquiesce into this you-get-what-you-deserve culture where we work hard for what we have to where we see it when it's ours. And, and, and Ezekiel is saying to the children of Israel at this time, and he's saying to us that what happened was that you started taking all of these things that God had given you, you trusted in your beauty, and you used your fame to become a prostitute. So you started seeing your own, your own accomplishments, and you started reveling in all them, but then all of a sudden you look at the people around you, you look at the nations around you, and you're like, well, I'd like to have that. I, I'd, like to, I'd like to have what they have. And so you go after it, and you offer yourself to foreign nations, to foreign gods. You offer yourself to other political forces to help defeat allies. You make alliances with other countries, other nations. You make alliances with other forms of government. And you do so because you're insatiable. In fact, he goes on to say that you don't even act like a regular prostitute. A prostitute receives money. You're actually offering your services for free and paying other nations to be with you. He prosecutes a very explicit case against the children of Israel, and he sees their unfaithfulness as he would see a wife or a spouse being unfaithful to their husband or to their wife and offering themselves everywhere to anyone with no shame because their appetites have been wet and their appetites are insatiable. Over and over again we see in Scripture that the more you desire of things, the more money you desire, the more money you'll want to desire and there'll never be enough. There'll always be a want for more. And so as they look around in the nations, there's all the promise of prosperity. There's all the promise of success, all the promise of a beautiful life. But in the end, it leads to destruction. It leads to emptiness. It leads to anxiety. It leads to being held captive by the things you sold yourself to. And so your desires, your wandering eye, the things that you thought would bring you happiness, fulfillment, actually become your captors and actually destroy your life. But he goes on and says, that's why. That's why God is pronouncing his judgment 
upon you because he doesn't want to see this happen to you. He doesn't want to see you live in this hell that you've created for yourself because you did not remember the Lord your God. You did not remember who you were. You did not remember that you were out in the field despised. You were helpless without God's rescuing you. You've forgotten the Lord your God in the days of your youth. He says, so I will surely bring down upon your head what you have done, declares the Lord. Why would he do that? They're such harsh words, especially in a culture where we talk about Jesus as Jesus' love. Jesus' love. Jesus' love. And Jesus is love. But he's also just. And he also loves his children. As we talked about last week, God will often allow us to experience the hell of our making for our good. He will allow us to chase after the things of this world, knowing what the outcome will be. He gives us warning after warning about the futileness of chasing after these things, but it doesn't keep us from chasing after them. Sometimes it takes for the house to be torn down into shambles for us to finally realize what it is we had that we've taken for granted. It takes it, 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 takes it to be like taken away for sometimes for some of us to really understand what we have and who has provided it. And God is willing to allow us to experience that pain because he loves us. Because he's more concerned about your salvation than he is about your comfort. Because he knows life is more than just stuff. Life is more than just this time. But it's also more than just about us. It's about others. God shows concern for others. Did you catch it in the text that you heard read? He talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is what he says. He says, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, offered and un- or overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore I did away with them as you have seen. Samaria didn't commit half the sins you did. You have done more detestable things than they and have made your sisters seem righteous by all the things that you have done. By your, bear your disgrace. For you have furnished some justification for your sisters because your sins were more vile than theirs. They appear more righteous than you. So then be ashamed and bear your disgrace. For you have made your sisters appear righteous. He's saying to them, he's saying to us, if we'll listen, that if we think we're better than anybody, you are sadly mistaken. And then he says to us some harsh words, but true words, as he says to them. He said, your actions make Sodom and Samaria feel like they're okay feel like they're justified. When they look at you, 
and they see how you act, and they look at their own life and say, well, I'm really not that bad. I mean, these are the children of God, and they seem to be happy, and, and they talk about being saved. And when I look at their life, there's not a whole lot of difference between me and them. Because he says, you make them appear more righteous than you. They seem like they're okay. And you give them this false sense of security, this untrue picture of who God is. By the way we live. By the way we chase after the things of the... By the way we don't look any different than our neighbor in how we treat people and how ungrateful we are and how we take things for granted. And when people outside the church look inside the church, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of difference. And so why should I even come inside the church? Because it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of difference. And he's saying, do you see what you've done? You're making those outside the church, people who are in danger, feel like they're safe, feel like they're okay. And that's not okay with God. And so God is okay with you feeling pain. God is okay with things being torn down because there's more at stake than just the things of this life. There's eternity at stake. There's salvation at stake. Our lives, others that do not know him, lives are at stake. And God will go to great lengths to preserve life. And then he concludes this section with, with this verse in 59. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I will deal with you as you deserve because you have despised my oath by breaking the covenant. And you would expect, based on everything you've heard, everything they've said about the children of Israel, you would expect that to be the end. But that's not the end. What we get is something just, it seems like just such a about face. But it's not. It's truly in line with God's character. Because what we see is God's mercy. What they deserved was punishment. What they deserved isn't what they got. He says, that's what you deserve. But he said, yet, I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed. You see, we think it's like the, the prerequisite for forgiveness is shame, that we need to feel shame in order to receive forgiveness. But this text shows us that it's forgiveness that precedes shame. It's the forgiveness of sins that brings us to repentance. That's what the Apostle Paul said in Romans. It's God's loving kindness that leads us to repentance. It's, it's the seeing that and knowing that I deserve, but yet God doesn't give me what I deserve. But yet God is true to his character. He's not a capricious God that just punishes just whenever he feels like it. He stays true to his word. If there's one thing we see in this text is that God is always true to his word. And he goes on to say, then... When I make atonement for you and all that you have done, you will remember 
and be ashamed and never again open your mouth because of your humiliation, declares the sovereign Lord. See, they were feeling ashamed. Not shame for their sins. They were feeling ashamed about their belief in God. Because they were looking at their circumstances in Babylon and they were looking at everything that was happening back in Jerusalem and they were like, are we fools for believing in God? We're ashamed to call him God because he hasn't done anything for us. That was their shame. Not in themselves, but in the Lord our God. And so how does God get them out of that? He said, I will make atonement for you. I will be the one that I will punish. And that's exactly what he did. He punished his son, staying true to his word that he would punish sin. Remember in the Abrahamic covenant that he made with Abraham, he said to Abraham that if I don't keep up my end, you can do to me what we did to these animals that they cut in half. And he also said that if Abraham, if you don't keep up your end and all your descendants, then you can do to me what we did to these animals we cut up. And God keeps his word and punishes sin in himself. Not the children of Israel. Not us. Not the ones who rebel against God. Not the ones who seek after our own righteousness. But no, he punishes his son on our behalf. And he makes atonement for us. It's what he told the children of Israel before they ever repented. And the whole purpose is so that they could come to know God. I want to go back to a little piece that I skipped over, and it's in 61, and the full text reads this, Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your sisters, both those who are older than you and those who are younger. And I will give them to you as daughters. What he's saying to them is that those that came before you that were not a part of this covenant and those that come after you who were not a part of this covenant, but I will graft them in. They will be daughters. They will be my children. And he's hearkening back to an older covenant, the covenant that he made with Abram to make him into a father of many nations. Long before this group of Israelites came to be, we are the younger sister. We are the recipients of the promise that God makes to the children of Israel in Babylon in 600 B.C. We are the recipients of God's promise. God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his word. And he says to you and I this morning that no matter how much you rebel, that you will not run him away. But he said, but take notice of who you are and what I've done for you because the way you live your life, I will allow you, I will allow you to live in the hell you make for yourself. Not because I'm, I'm mad at you, but because I love you. Now we know he doesn't desire for us to live in that hell, but he is willing to let us live there so that we could possibly remember who we are and what God has done for us.
that we wouldn't take his grace and his love for granted. That we would be truly the most grateful people on the planet. And through that gratefulness, we could make a difference in the world around us today. That we could actually be known as the most grateful people in the world. The most kind people in the world because we don't forget what God has done for us. And our worth isn't measured by the the amount of money in our bank account or where we live or what we wear or, or who we love in this world, but by Him. So there's no need to be anxious and afraid, but grateful. And it's through that life of, of gratefulness that we can make a difference in our families, in, in our communities, and in the world around us and truly transform the world as we know it in the middle of a pandemic. The church is still the hope of the world. The church has more reason than ever to be grateful because Jesus Christ is alive. Because God is faithful to his word. Would you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks for your faithfulness and for your reckless love of us. And you would send your son into the world to pay the price for continued rebellion and and continued disloyalty and sinfulness. So Father, we confess to you this morning that we are a lot like our older sister. And we have taken your love for granted. We have taken your blessings for granted. Father, at the same time, your love just turns us around and, and beckons us to come and remind us that we are loved and forgiven. And it's that love that we, we go forth from today and, and seek to remember and never forget who you are, who we are. Father, we thank you for the, for the love you have for your people, the love you have for this world. I pray that this word changes our hearts we would never forget the Lord our God. In Jesus' name.
Satisfied. 